Hello, I'm Pippa Kelly. Welcome to the third series of Well I Know Now, in which I talk to people affected by dementia in various ways. Since launching my podcast last year, I've chatted to people living with dementia, people caring for loved ones, to artists, authors, broadcasters, cartoonists and actors, representing, recording and charting the lives of those with the condition. I've spoken to the chief executives and founders of dementia organisations big and small, and each and every one of my guests has taught me something new about the condition and how it affects us all, about myself, about life and what's important in it. We've mulled over what we know now that we didn't before dementia came into our lives. My mum lived with vascular dementia for her last 10 years. Were I to sum up one of the main things that I know now that I didn't this time last year, which is just about exactly when we went into our first COVID lockdown in this country, it's the huge power of connections, of real skin-to-skin human connections, of bear hugs and whisper-soft touches, and what we mean to each other and give to each other just by being there. It's often the seemingly smallest things that matter most. It was the poet Sylvia Plath who wrote, Well, I know now a little more about how much a simple thing like a snowfall can mean to a person. And dementia teaches you this too. My guest this week is speaking to me from three and a half thousand miles away from Philadelphia in the USA. Her dad died when she was 16 and she's very close to her 92-year-old mum. For the past 12 years since her mum was diagnosed with first mild cognitive impairment and then Alzheimer's, Roseanne Corcoran has been her main carer. And in 2015, her mum moved in with her and her family. For Roseanne is also a wife and a mother to two daughters. Before she had to give it up, her career was in real estate. To put it bluntly, in her own words, she is a full-time sandwich generation dementia carer and she's exhausted. And that was before COVID struck before she lost the caregiver who came in for four hours a day so she could run errands, before her younger daughter's high school closed. For months now, Roseanne has barely left the house. When she does, she hurries home for fear of bringing the virus back with her. She doesn't think her mum, Rose, who needs help with all her everyday needs, would survive were she to catch it. Last November, Roseanne wrote an open letter to Dementia for Next Avenue, an influential US website on ageing. In it, she describes how the disease has taken a beautiful, independent light of a woman and turned her into someone whose world has been shrunken to one room. I am consumed with worry and fear and guilt and sadness and anger over watching my mother slip away, all the while trying to stay involved in my children's lives, she writes. Yet Roseanne still manages to be upbeat At least my children learn about what's important in life. At least my mother knows she's loved. At least we have dinner together. At least we can laugh. Like me, she's found a creative outlet in writing and podcasting. Each month, she writes, records, edits and produces Daughterhood, the podcast on the Whole Care Network, where her guests have ranged from Tipa Snow, one of the world's leading educators on dementia care, to our own Tommy Dunn. A Liverpudlian who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's at the age of 58. So, Roseanne, across the mile from Pennsylvania to West Sussex, from one podcaster to another, and from one daughter to another, 
a very warm welcome to Well, I Know Now. My goodness, Pippa, thank you very much. That's quite an introduction. Thank you. No, not at all. It's all true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope it's all true. I haven't got anything wrong. Um, (laughs) No. Actually, just as I read that, I wasn't going to start here, but I have to say that that line of yours, that at the moment you're consumed with worry and fear and guilt and sadness and anger because your mother's slipping away and you're all the time trying to stay involved with your children's lives, that is, that so was me. I think it's one of the reasons perhaps why we were sort of drawn to each other because I you know, now sort of out of it in that my mother's died. That's kind of the only way out, isn't it? But all those emotions... I just remember that so well. And we're going to go on and talk about all sorts of things. But first, sort of with that in mind, really, because my heart goes out to you. You know, my first question is, how are things right now with you and your mum? I know she's not sleeping well. Right. No, and and thank you for that. Um, It kind of wraps it all up, doesn't it? Right now, my mother is, um, she has shifted her days and nights and... Mm. The lockdown, as much as I see her every day, you you know, obviously she doesn't see people. And it really affected her in that way. It was about September when she switched. And, you know, people say, well, just wake her up earlier. And you can't wake somebody up earlier like that. Mm. You know, that doesn't happen. You can't. Mm. I can try, but it doesn't work. So she sleeps. And then even with medication to try to help her to sleep, Mm. she'll sleep for an hour and then Mm. she'll be up. Mm. And that's it. And and she's up all night. <laughs> and so am I. You said last night it was, so 3.15? Last night was an early night. It was 3.15. Uh, usually it's 5, I mean 5, 6. It is not a rare occasion for me to be crossing with my husband. He's getting up to go to work, and I'm still awake from the night before. Golly. Mm. So, you know, that kind of wears on you a little bit, Pippa. I think that's pretty mildly, isn't it? And I, I hasten to add that I didn't look after my mum, you know, 24-7. She didn't move in with us like you do, but even so, I felt all those emotions. So I just can't really... I can only understand what you're going through from other people in your situation that I talk to, you know. It's torture, and I see why they use sleep deprivation as a torture technique, because it, mm. it's, it is. It's torture. You can't think straight. You know, you feel like you're underwater. It's just awful. It just is. Mm. One of the things that course that's happened during the uh, pandemic is that you, you as I mentioned you had to really let go the the caregiver who did come in for four hours a day yes and the idea that I had as I watched COVID move across the globe was when my daughter's school closed I would say you know the caregiver can't come in anymore because I felt like that was the natural if it got to that point Pippa you know like mm. okay we're, we're done here and that's exactly what happened so it was March 10th for us last year before the county lockdown Right. Um, and um, I brought a caregiver in after I had spoken with my cardiologist because I was having heart palpitations. I brought a caregiver in mm-hmm. and then mom started to sleep longer. So it was almost at the same time, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yes. So I, I had the caregiver come in at one thirty. Yes. And my mother, I would get my mother up at one o'clock and I would move her out of her bed into her chair. This and is then one thirty. Sorry, just to be sure. This is one thirty in the afternoon. Yeah. PM, yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. You know, she'd get in her chair and she would sleep. So mm-hmm. the caregiver was sitting there and my mother's sleeping in the chair and it was like, well, this kind of doesn't, you know, do anything. <laughs> oh, I see, yes. So it was a sod's law thing. Your mum slept while the caregiver came in. Right. Mm. And so then it was like, okay, well, never mind. 
maybe this is just a stage. Because don't we do that, Pippa? Maybe this is just a stage. Maybe Absolutely. this is just going to last for a week. Absolutely. <laughs> and dementia is nothing if not unpredictable. Oh, and constantly changing. And just mm. because it works today doesn't mean it's going to work tomorrow. Quite. So it's incredibly <clears throat> exhausting and draining, isn't it, on you in every which way, mentally, psychologically, physically. One thing I read that you'd said at some point was that in one day you looked at your Fitbit... <laughs> <laughs> and you remind me, I mean, you'd done, I've got it down somewhere, 28 flights of stairs, and you'd done yeah. 7,500 steps, and you hadn't yeah. actually left the house. Yes. Because just fill yes. us in, sort of, you know, let people know about your setup. Your mum is on the first floor, isn't she, in her own room? Just fill us in with your, your family and your setup there. So my mother lives upstairs in, in my house. My daughter's bedroom was over our garage. And when my mother moved in, my daughter said, listen, I'll move in to the, the, the spare room that we had. It was a smaller spare room. And she said, I'll move in there. I'm going to be going to college next year anyway. She can have my room. It's bigger, you know. Mm-hmm. So we did. We moved her in there and we moved her bedroom set and her living room set. So it looks like a little studio apartment. Mm. It has access to the hallway bath. It's lovely. It's mm. really lovely. Mm. And so that's where she is. Now, from the beginning, I thought, well, should she be on the second floor? Should she be on the first floor? If we moved her, if we did the first floor, where would she be in our dining room? It's colder down mm. here than upstairs. You know, mm. all of that comes mm. into play. So I thought, you know, worst comes to worst, we'll get one of those chairlift things if we needed to. So not thinking really <laughs> that in the beginning she would come down yes. and she would mm. be in the kitchen with us or the living room. But, you know, Pippa, I'm Italian and my mother comes from that. You don't bother the husband when you're in that world okay Mm. so if we were on the phone and my husband came in she would be like okay goodbye because there's that thinking so Mm. after about the first two weeks she wouldn't come downstairs anymore because she didn't want to quote intrude even with my coaxing even with all that didn't matter so she stayed in her room so I would bring food up and in my mind I'm thinking well how can I care for her and know what's going on if I can't see her right Yes. dementia. So I have a video camera up there. Mm-hmm. I have a baby monitor up there. Mm-hmm. And I told her I was putting all of those things in there. And I have an iPad that I hooked up to the camera. So I can see her on the monitor. Yes. So that's what makes me run up and down. Now, my mother also had vertigo. So she's not really steady on her feet. Yeah. So the minute she goes to stand up, if she puts her hands on the chair to stand up, I run up the steps. You're seeing this on the monitor and so you're worried and yeah. Exactly. So the minute she looks like she's going to make a move, I run up the steps. Mm -hmm. Yep. And (laughs) I'm quick, but not that quick. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that wears on my hips, my lower back, my feet, my knees, everything, because I'm running up and down the steps all day. Yes. You mentioned that you've obviously had to go and see a cardiologist. So, you know, it's really physically taken its toll on you as well as obviously emotionally and... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I was seeing the chiropractor weekly right? because of all of that. Yes. And at the moment, your mum, she's unsteady on her feet, but she can get out of bed, can she, at the moment? I mean, because there'll come a stage, of course, when she can't do that. Correct. And there are some days where she doesn't move at all. And right. then there's other days where she only moves. <laughs> like, yes. it doesn't, there's no rhyme or reason. So yes. I can say... She'll be there. It's fine. She's not going to go anywhere. And then I look and she's gone. Mm. Mm. I'll turn mm. around mm. If, if I think she's settled and watching TV or whatever. 
And then I turn around and there's an empty chair. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's a little crazy because you can't count on it, Peppa. You just can't count no, on it. No, so you live with a constant pretty high level of anxiety and stress, actually very high level, don't you? And then COVID struck. So that's extremely worrying for you. You still haven't had your jab, have you? I think that's right. I have not. And your mum hasn't had hers. The county that I live in is getting, you know, their drips and drabs. We're getting maybe 1,300 doses a week. Because you do it state by state? Yes. Mm. Mm. So have you got any inkling when it might come? Well, I just received an email from my primary care physician office yesterday saying that I could get one. So, and thankfully, each state is different. Thankfully, Pennsylvania recognizes family caregivers as essential workers. Ah, brilliant. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Not all states do that. Not all states do that. But isn't that insane, Pippa? Yes, absolutely. We've had the same sort of, you know, debates over here. And in fact, um, I was going to get on to, but, you know, with the, we, we had all that with the care homes as well. And I know you've had just about exactly the same experience with your care homes or you call them your care facilities. We yes. call them sort of care homes and nursing homes um, yes. over here, whereby people weren't being able to be visited at all. Right. And they have window visits and um, hugely confusing for people. As I mentioned, also just like us. You emailed me and said that people were being discharged from hospital straight back into these care facilities. Yes. Exactly the same thing happened. So they became sort of breeding grounds for... um, Absolutely. Well, and part of that problem was where do they go? You have nowhere else to go. Yeah. Right. That was part of the issue because Mm -hmm. if they can't go back home and they can't go to the... Like, where are they going from the hospital? And that was part of the problem. But the problem that was happening in the care facilities was they didn't have PPE. They didn't have enough PPE. Ah, same at the beginning, same here, although we did get more as time went on. Is that still a problem there or presumably? uh, I think now it has leveled out, but Mm. in those first months, there wasn't enough PPE. And the people that work in the care homes, you know, I think, Pippa, they could work at McDonald's and make more money. There's not the pay scale. Same same here. Mm -hmm. So then... What happens? What happens is they, they have to work at multiple facilities mm-hmm. to make up that money. Right, so they're getting round like super spreaders. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It was yeah. the perfect storm. Yeah, yeah, so it's exactly the same here. I mean, it's been one of the most badly hit sectors. And also people with dementia. I mean, over here it was 30% of those who died from COVID had dementia. And dementia was the most common underlying factor in UK deaths from the virus. You know, it was almost like, as usual... They're the sort of forgotten people. Yes. Maybe from this, that Mm. will change. Mm. Maybe. We all hope that. But the trouble is that uh, governments are going to be so strapped for cash. Not not that it's all about cash. You know, it's not all about that. It's about, you know, mindsets and how we value the care sector, isn't it? Yes. It's interesting, though, to go back to you, to focus on your family, why immediately you wanted your mum to come and live with you? Did it ever cross your mind to put your mum way back in 2015 into a care home, or facility as you call them? Well, as it developed... Um, How did it develop? Tell me about the first symptoms that you saw in your mum. She was a very well, outward-going uh, oh, ballroom dancer, wasn't she? Or yes, indeed. Hairdresser, very people person. Yep, very independent, people person. Everybody knew her. She came from a very large family that everybody knew as well. So it was one of those things. And, and Pippa, one of my favorite memories is going someplace and having somebody say, oh, you're Rose's daughter? We mm. love Rose. And I'm like, me too. Like, that <laughs> it was, she was that kind of person, yeah, you know? Lovely. And um, nice to everybody and all of that. But 
she noticed her memory was changing Hmm. and said, I think I want to talk to the doctor about this. And I was like, yeah, okay, Mm -hmm. great. Yeah. So we, we talked to the doctor and the doctor said, I swear to you, if you don't remember names, if you get lost in familiar places, and if you forget to pay your bills, then it's an issue. And I remember standing there like, you're kidding me, right? Like you're kidding me. (laughs) What were her sort of memory issues then? They were little things that were happening, but it was a change. And Mm, my mm, mother, mm. my mother is one of 12 in her family Mm. and eight of them had memory problems, Mm. memory. They had some sort of dementia. Mm. So I'm sitting there thinking, Mm. this Mm. is wonderful. We're going to get a diagnosis. We're going to be able to do something. Right, Pippa, we're going to be able to do something. Yes, yes, yes. No. Because in no. a way, you you you'd got over the first hurdle, which is often that people are very reluctant and hesitant to go to Correct. the doctor. The people themselves, you know, understandably because they're right. frightened or whatever. But your mother was happy to do that. And then right. this is so common. And, and often people say to me, "But I knew that my husband wasn't right, or my mum, whatever." And you have to really sort of argue with the medical profession who who are saying, oh, no, no, this is fine. Or they might, a lot of the time people over here, I don't know if it's the same, are diagnosed with depression. Right. It's first of all diagnosed as depression and then, right. you know, slowly, slowly. So it took how long for your mum to be diagnosed? Well, two years later, yeah. she had fallen and broke her pelvis and wound up oh. at a yeah, yeah, that was a that was what that it was took. a day. Yeah, that was what it. Well, yeah, and I had moved her from that hospital to where her orthopedic was, so it was a totally different doctor that came in mm. who was working the rounds, and mm. he wrote down on her paper mm. mild cognitive impairment. Right. And I thought, oh, thank God. Yeah. Yay. Mm. And I said to him because you know I wanted to see. Mm. I said, so what does that mean exactly, doctor? Mm. Good and he question. said, thank you. And he <laughs> yeah, said. Well, yeah, because that's great that you wrote it down, but if nobody's going to, if nobody is going to acknowledge it, it doesn't matter that it's written down. So I said, you know, what does it mean? He said, oh, nothing. It's just aging. Back to square one because I had, okay, we've got this diagnosis that then her primary was like, "Eh, whatever. And even her cardiologist was like, no, it's fine, whatever. Nobody cared, Pippa. Nobody cared. But, Mm. and I was like, Mm. Mm. I felt like I was screaming underwater is what I felt like. Mm. Mm. So for me, it made me tune in even more and try to monitor what was happening and what was changing. And I could see it because I was always there. You know, I would talk to her three, four times a day. How far away did she live? 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. On On her own because your father died when you were young. Correct. So she was 20 minutes away. You know, I would go and and check in and see how she was doing and what was going on. And she retired from hairdressing in 2011 because... Uh, she also has this vasovagal syndrome where if she gets hot or if she gets upset, she passes out. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of a party right there. So she retired in 2011 and at the apartment complex where she worked, she would work in the office at the front desk on Mondays and, you know, give out packages and that kind of stuff. But I would go and see what was happening and I could see it in her. I could see her affect changed. Yes. She was sleeping later. Yes. She would start to withdraw from doing like, you know, do you want to go out? No, I don't want to go out. That yeah, kind of stuff. That was exactly like my mom. Mm-hmm. And they were still dancing, but not as much because her partner was also having some difficulties. So mm. it was still there, but it wasn't there. It was kind of back and forth. 
you know, we would go out and she would buy the same things. And I would be like, didn't you just buy that last yes, week? Yes. And she'd say, no, no, I need it. Okay. And then she would call at night and say, I was watching a program and I don't know where it went. I can't get back to it. So mm. then I started taking pictures of her remote controls so I could mm, say the right. button on the right yes. on the bottom, you know, yes. and I labeled all her CD player so that she could see, you know, yes. this is play. But it didn't matter, Pippa, because mm. it wasn't, you know, that's yeah. part of the problem. We can yeah. label things and yeah, we can absolutely. do things. It's just it goes gone. beyond that, doesn't it? Yes. And she was what yes. then, in her 80s? It was right after she turned 80, things started mm. to change. And the, the thing is, is that my mother looks wonderful. She so does. I've seen pictures. When she looks gorgeous. She, thank you. So when she presents to these doctors, mm, mm, mm. right? She looks great. Mm, oh, my goodness. I mean, mm. she looked like she was 60 when she mm, was 80. Mm, absolutely. So when did you actually get the Alzheimer's diagnosis once and for all? When hospice came the end of the year, I said, What's, what is her diagnosis? And they were like, oh, vascular dementia and Alzheimer's. I was like, oh, thanks. 2020, thanks. Right. Even F- Five even, years later. Five years after she moved in here. But in 2015, I should say, yes. when I had for about a year and a half, I had dropped my daughter off at school, my youngest. I would drop her off at school and drive to my mom's. Mm. And I would wait for her to wake up. And I'd stay with her until two o'clock when I had to leave to come back to pick my daughter up from school. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what I was thinking I was accomplishing, Pippa, but I, it felt like I was doing something because I was, I had to put my eyes on her every day and things were changing and, Mm. you know, so she passed out one time. She was talking to the people in the hallway. There was no air conditioner because they took Mm. it out of the hallway. She got hot. She passed out. Mm. Fine. I was trying to call her. I couldn't get her. Finally, she answers the phone. I said, what, are you okay? I passed out. I went down. I scooped her up and I brought her to my house. And I thought, this is it. I'm getting an answer. This is it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I made an appointment with her primary, her cardiologist and her ENT. Cause I thought, okay, maybe it's her vertigo. Mm-hmm. It was the ENT that put in her report, evolving dementia. Right. Her ENT. Yeah. We went to the neurologist. The neurologist was like, no, MRI was fine. And I said, well, should she be living alone? Oh, no, no, she shouldn't live alone. Okay, well, what are you saying then? Mm. It was like nobody wanted to say it, Mm. but nobody wanted to come out and say, yes, this woman has dementia. Mm. This woman has Alzheimer's. This woman has vascular dementia. Her cardiologist could have said that. I mean, it makes sense. What is your take on that? Why do you think they didn't say that if it was pretty obvious by then? Because they can't Um, do anything about it? Yeah, I think so. And I think part of the hesitation is, here's your diagnosis. Good luck to you. Which Good is what luck. happened, isn't it? Because you said that too. You got When you finally got the diagnosis, you got no support. No, there was nothing. And it was basically her doctors continued on that same path of see you in six months. And it was like, mm-hmm. see you in six months. Mm-hmm. Do you realize that we're in a whole different realm now? This is a whole different world. And she came to live with you then? Yes. So when I scooped her up and brought her to my house in 2015, that was that. And I said to my family, Mm. what are we going to do here? What are we going to do? Because, you know, if she goes back to her apartment and they were sitting at the kitchen table and my husband and my kids were like, we're never going to see you if she goes back to her apartment. Mm. I was going to ask about your family's reaction because this is a huge impact on on your family. Absolutely. My kids grew up going to mom's. My kids grew up you know, we're, mm. okay, we can go to the mall, but I've got to stop at my mom's first. So they were always part mm. of this. Mm. Mm. You know, there was a time, you can ask them, the 2012 Olympics, they watched in a dentist office because I took my mom to get new dentures 
and they were sitting in the waiting room watching yeah. the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. So they were very, very supportive, and your husband too? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, over here, I think the opinion differs a bit, but I think that in the last sort of five to ten years, there's been there's certainly been more awareness of dementia, you know, and we have, you know, the Dementia Friends schemes and retail and banks and organisations, societies have dementia training and uh, and now people with dementia themselves get far more involved in those sort of projects and process so that these improvements and developments in society are not being done without the scope of the people with dementia for whom it has been done. You know, nothing about us without us is one of the mantras, quite rightly. How is that sort of dementia awareness at a societal level? How is that in America? We're trying. I think it's one of those things that is out there and everybody knows about, but they consider it just a memory disease. Mm -hmm. And the, the major question is, well, does she still remember you? It's really based around memory. memory. And mm -hmm. what is missing is that it is a progressive neurodegenerative fatal disease yes. that has no effective treatment or cure. I think it's hard because from a doctor's perspective, what do they do? They try to treat and cure diseases mm. or illness, whether they're acute or long-term. Mm. To have somebody give you a prescription for a medicine and say, it may or may not work. Mm. Okay, well, thank you. I think there's a disconnect mm. because there hasn't been a survivor. It's not like this is new. Mm. Mm. So I think as far as doctors go, you know, in the U.S. here, you know, you've got your 10 minutes, you're yes. getting in and getting out. Yes. So the nuances of dementia care are many. Mm. Over here now, there are some amazing projects that are happening in all the different sort of art fields and whether it be with, you know, music is a huge, huge life enhancer for people with dementia. And yes. then, but even if it's poetry or dance or theatre or reminiscence therapies, is that taking off in the States? There are always things that you can find. You have to be proactive though, Pippa. It's not anything that is common knowledge. You have to seek them out. Hmm. Does that vary that, state by state as well? Or is yes, there any, any kind of national absolutely. policies on it? You know, it, it just depends. It's hard. There are dementia-friendly communities. You can sign up to be a dementia friend so you can mm. learn what it looks like if you're out and you see someone that may mm. be having trouble. Mm. You, you don't know if they have dementia. Well, you know, this is how you approach and this is what you do. I just spoke with someone last week, um, PK Bevel, who has a, a company called Second Wind. Mm -hmm. And they give wishes almost to people living with dementia. They go into facilities and if they mm -hmm. want to do, you know, I want to skydive, I want to go out to dinner, oh, I used to play, brilliant. Mm -hmm. that kind of, so they, they do that. There are organizations that are out there. Presumably that's a charity though, is it? Second no, way. no, it's a nonprofit. It's a nonprofit. Non okay. Yeah. And it's hard because the stigma that mm. goes with everything mm. is palpable and people don't know what to do. And, you know, I carry Tommy Dunn with me. Pippa. Mm, mm, I carry Tommy with me <laughs> when he says people will talk to plants and they'll talk to animals and they'll talk to anything, but they won't talk to someone with dementia. Mm. And it's true. It's as if they're afraid. I was just about to say, I think they're frightened and that's because they don't know and they don't understand. Right. But I like to look at it as if you met your friend for a walk every Saturday and your mm. friend broke their leg, would mm. you stop talking to your friend? Mm. No. 
would you say, well, you know, we only hike, so you can't do these long walks anymore. So therefore we're no longer friends. No, you wouldn't say, I would hope you wouldn't say that, but you wouldn't say that. So you have to work a little harder. You can't do what you've always done with them. And that's okay. They're still there and it might be uncomfortable. Oh, well, guess what? It's uncomfortable. That's not the worst thing in the world. No, I mean, other people say to me that, of course, it's not the people with dementia that, you know, have the problem here. It's us. It's the rest of it us. It's us. society. It is. I think one of the biggest forces for change, these big societal changes in, you know, trying to get rid of the stigma and the way we approach dementia is the people with dementia themselves. And yes. over here now, almost by definition, it tends to be people with, you know, the early onset dementia diagnosed under the age of 65. We have so many now, Tommy Dunn, Wendy Mitchell, Jennifer yeah. Butte, I could, you know, the roll call goes on and on of these really brave individuals, Chris Roberts, another lovely chap, who by being out there and talking about it, or, you know, I had Peter Berry on my podcast the other week, I think they really help to diminish the stigma because you see them and obviously you think, oh, you're lovely. <laughs> of exactly. course you're lovely. And, you know, you're just the same. Of course, you know, this is all so sort of ridiculous to even say, to verbalise it. <laughs> but by being them and by being high profile, as it were, being out there on the media, do you have that over in America? I mean, do you get these, we, they're advocates, they're champions. Yes, you get celebrities absolutely. doing it and they perform another role because of course of their mass breakthrough this power they have but I think the people with dementia are really powerful no I agree with you because that's their story and Mm. we're going to learn from what is it like on that side we're looking at it from a how can we help you and Mm. they're saying I'm okay yeah I might need a little help Mm. but I'm still here and that's part of uh, the challenge I think You've put your finger on it, actually, I think, because Chris Roberts said to me that he lives with dementia and he said, you know, he and his wife are sort of this partnership and I had them both on the um, podcast and there's a danger in sort of doing things too much for people with dementia at that stage and taking over all their roles. And he said, I just want support to be able to do what I can do. Mm -hmm. She gave a good example of realising that the kettle, she thought he was no longer capable of of, of making a cup of tea. Actually, what he was no longer capable of was taking the very awkward lid, as they often are on a kettle, off the kettle. And once she realised that, she just went out, bought a different kettle that just had a flip-up lid. He could boil the kettle, he could make her a cup of tea. Exactly. There's ways around it. You have to think outside Mm. of the box when you're dealing with this Mm. because it doesn't fit in the box. Mm. And again, going back to you and your family, thinking ahead now, for you and your situation with your mum, one daughter's left to go to college, hasn't she? And the other one is what, still at home or? They're both in college now. My one daughter's in grad school and my other daughter is in college, just started. Mm. So do they both they live both away live, from home now? Or? They're away from, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so mm-hmm. going forward, you know, when your mother's needs become more physically and what is your plan? Just keep doing what I'm doing, Pippa. Yeah, I, okay. I'm just going to keep going. I always figured that when we got to the point where she would be bed bound Mm. and not be able to move Mm. I would have other people come in of course Mm. I didn't plan on a pandemic Mm. (laughs) so you know it could just be me and that's okay but I planned on just having care come in is what Mm. my plan was Mm. and you know that old saying right we make plans and God laughs but that's my plan my plan is that she will die here this Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. this is the road that we're on Mm -hmm. yeah and how will you fund that? I mean, let's get into the different systems here. 
you and I, you know, exchanged a few emails before and I was explaining over here, it's called a bit the dementia tax because we have our famous, wonderful NHS free at the point of care. But dementia doesn't come under NHS, it's this condition and it tends to fall under the social care budget. Social care is means tested. So you can end up, as my mother did, having to pay, in my mother's case, £100,000 towards her own care. And we, it makes us sound like we've got dripping with money. I mean, I can do believe me, we absolutely were not. They went through all their savings, sold the house, blah, 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 you know, because you don't really get it. And in, in extreme circumstances, you can, but I had to fight really hard for that state help. In America, you have Medicare and Medicaid, don't you? Could you just talk us through that, where you'll look to for your help and your funding and... Sure. Medicare doesn't cover home care for dementia. Medicare, you know, part A is hospitals, part B is doctors, uh, D is drugs. Like everything has a different letter mm -hmm. attached to it. Uh, the way that things happen with Medicare, if like say you went to a hospital mm -hmm. and somebody broke their hip or whatever, they go to the hospital and then they get transferred to a rehab. Well, they have a three-day admission rule where you have to be in the hospital for three days. And then when you go, it would be covered, the rehab. If you're not there for three days, they do not cover the rehab. Ah, oh, okay. And do you find okay. that that rule is sort of used and abused a bit, the three-day well, rule? What, <laughs> what used to happen back in the day was people would say, oh my goodness, I can't take care of my parent anymore. Mm -hmm. We'll just bring them to the hospital. And then from the hospital, it got them to where they needed to go. To a facility. Uh, uh, Correct. Mm -hmm. That went away. And that's where the three-day rule comes in. And it has to be three full days of admittance, mm -hmm. not observation, not the day your discharge does not fall into that. Now, that rule has been waived because of COVID because nobody wants to have anybody be in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Medicaid is different than Medicare. Medicaid is run by every state and every state has different rules. They have different... Holy. Uh, yeah. So you have to literally just have no money. You have to be run down. There are states where you have to, if you have less than $8,000, you qualify. There are states that you have to have less than $2,000 to qualify. Mm. There are counselors and attorneys that only deal in Medicaid coverage because it's so convoluted to get there. You know, what happens if it's a married couple and the, mm. the wife has dementia and the husband doesn't, and then the wife goes into the facility? Well, what happens to the, there's a surviving spouse part? It's bedlam, <laughs> Pippa. Right. And it makes my head spin when I think about it. But, you know, my mother has Medicare. It took me forever to find a house, a doctor that would come to the house, but I did. And thankfully that is part of Medicare. Of course, hospice, Medicare covers hospice. There are things that Medicare covers, but it's not in the business of providing that type of care. There's a missing piece for home care, care, <laughs> for right. home care coverage okay. for Medicare. So it's set up for what we call the care homes. Well, no, it doesn't pay for care homes. It doesn't pay for nursing homes. But it doesn't pay because if you're in your own it, home either. No, mm -mm. you're on your own. If you didn't plan for this, if you don't have the money for this, if you don't have people to help you with this, you're on your own. So you're expected not... to have paid into an insurance. Correct. I have found it is not a help in those departments. I wanted to get a, a small wheelchair in case she wasn't able to walk, mm. obviously. And um, that was covered by Medicare under their equipment. So it, it covers equipment but not a Hoyer lift or, or those types of things. It does not pay for care. It doesn't pay for caregivers to come into your house. No way. 
even when she gets more severe and couldn't get from her bed at all? No, ma'am. Mm -mm. If she would qualify for Medicaid, then they also have a waiver where I could put in a waiver and say, I don't want to put her into a facility. I will be the facility. Mm -hmm. And then it, that's the Medicaid waiver. But again, there's many steps to go through for that. Yes. Everything is, is a multiple step. Listen, I understand it because yeah. that's part of the reason why we family caregivers save the healthcare industry billions of dollars a year. Absolutely. So, yeah, there are about, well, it varies because the numbers are so huge in the US, but between about 41 million, 53 to 53 million, million yes. unpaid carers saving yes. the country. I'm so bad with figures and these ones really frighten me, but I think it's <laughs> $470 billion. Yes. Yes, indeed. And yet, as a family caregiver, I am termed informal. I am yeah. an informal caregiver. And if that doesn't make me just furious, how am I informal? I'm saving you money. It's not like I'm getting anything out of this. My own health is deteriorating and I'm informal. Okay. And you've given well, up your job, haven't you? I've given up my job. I've given up my time and I've given up my time with my family. And yes, that is my choice. And I would do it all over again. But these are the actual costs of caregiving. This is all part of it. There are people all over the country that are doing this mm. every single day, and we're invisible. We are invisible, and it has to change. So do you not get, just to be completely clear, any financial, straight financial help? Do you just have to push for the help to say, will you fund for me this wheelchair? Do you have to do it on a sort of like piecemeal basis? I need a wheelchair, now I might need a hoist, and then you have to fight for the money for the hoist. Do you not get any sort of low-level funding to help you look after your mother no. at home with dementia? No, no, I don't get a penny to, to look after my mother, no. Mm -mm. So no. did you pay into a policy? I mean, how are you going to, well, sorry, this is a bit sort of personal, because I don't know your, you won't want me to know your finances exactly, but just give us a broad sort of outline. Then. I mean, how do you, must have an insurance policy, or how do you do it? I mean, we have been saving, you know, we save for our kids' college, we save for retirement, we save that type mm. of things. Mm. There are long-term care policies that are mm. offered. Mm. The problem with long-term care policies are when they come due. And, you know, I look at the numbers, you've seen the numbers of what is mm. anticipated for what's coming for dementia. Mm. Are these companies going to be in business when we get to be mm. 70, mm. 75? Mm. I don't know. I wouldn't say they would. And I don't know what you do, Pippa. Do you store money in your mattress? What do you do? You put it in the bank? No, it's do? very interesting because over here, in fact, it came up with um, somebody else I was talking to on my podcast about the we, years ago, in about 2011, we had something called the Dillnot Report, where he looked into whether we in the UK should have an insurance policy. Because as I say, in a way, we're in the same boat as you with our social care, although our mm -hmm. NHS is different, of course, which is the health bit of it. He came up with a proposal that we would have to have from memory. I think it was, you know, you would never spend more as an individual than £35,000 in your care uh, over mm -hmm. your life. And, of course, a, a lot of those people, because of the demographics and all living older, would be people with dementia. And one of the major problems and why it's never come off in this country is because the insurance companies, they felt they couldn't take it on. Because how long Absolutely. does a person with dementia live for? You're right. And mm. they don't know. Our memory care units here are eight to $12,000 a month, depending on the state that you're in. Uh, yes. Okay. So, so eight to $12,000 a month is about seven, seven and a half thousand pounds a month. So, yeah, that, that is, that is more than us because, 
our average fee for a care home over here is about three and a half thousand pounds a month. So yeah, yeah, I think you are paying more. It's horrifying that mm. everything is this much money. Yeah, yeah. In this and care, I do, at least I suppose. Well, at least is the wrong way of putting it, but you know that, do you? I mean, all Americans sort of grasp this because you do just have to pay. You know, I remember when I was ill once in America and it was so odd for me because I had to be admitted to hospital. I got a kidney infection and it was like very nice and everything and asked me all about it. Oh, yes, I think you need to be admitted to hospital. Yeah, can we have your Amex? That's so counter us because you know when you go to hospital here you never pay which really made you if you didn't before appreciate the NHS oh yeah else you pay in our taxes but it's completely different to whether you actually be asked you know up front like that was so odd for me but the thing is that people over here think that well sorry I'm being very sort of patronizing because not everybody does but there's a sort of general assumption that your social care when you do get old and you need help that will be paid for too because we're so sort of used to it in a way and it's it seems to come as as a shock and a surprise to people that yeah you have to pay for your social care you know there are safety nets over here so if your means fall below a certain amount I wish I had the numbers in front of me but the money that is spent in the last six months to a year of someone's life. And it's such a strain. And I mean, it bankrupts people. And I don't think people realize it until they're in it. And then they're so surprised yeah. by it. And then you're in it and there's no getting yes, out of it. Yes, when you're in and that terrible mess, you're almost too exhausted, exactly. uh, emotionally drained and everything to then think, well, I'm also going to fight for this. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Because it takes a lot to fight with for that. Yeah. I think it's almost set up like so you go, oh, forget it. Oh, I'm sure it is. Over here, uh, we have something <laughs> oh, forget it. for when you're very ill and you want to try and get the money from the state called continuing health care, which is very contentious. And I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm convinced that they always turn it down the first time. And you, you, know, mm-hmm. you have to battle mm-hmm. and battle. And battle is the right word. Yep. And I'm sure yes. it's because they think, well, those people that really fight and fight and fight, we might eventually cave in, but they're really just trying to wear you down. Well, no, I totally agree with you. And it gets to the point because, you know, Pippa, when you're in this caring bubble almost, everything is harder. Mm. And to try to do that every day and to try to, you know what you're walking into, Mm. you know, you're going to be on hold, Mm. you know, you're going to be, it's going to take forever, you know, you're going to get aggravated and your patience Mm. is very thin because you're exhausted and it works against you. But have you found that doing your podcast... And talking to people all involved with caring and, well, it has helped you, hasn't it? You know, you say one of the things you sort of know now is that you have to have something for yourself. Yes. It's very important. And in a way, that's your thing for yourself. You call it journaling. This is writing, is it? And and podcasting. Yes. It was almost like therapy Mm. for me because I find when you write it, it goes. Mm. It leaves Mm. you. Mm. Mm. And that's the beauty of it because... It's out then. You don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to talk to anybody about it if you don't want to. You don't, there are things that happen every day. There are things that go on all the time and things that you think that you don't want to talk mm. about that you'd never say to another person. Mm. Mm. But you can certainly write it down. Yes, absolutely. That's a, a really good tip for people, actually, isn't it? Because I know I was told that as well, you know, when things got very bad. I was, by that time, I think writing anyway, because I was a journalist then. So, But like you, in a way, it was a way of getting it out of yourself. So you don't yes. lie awake and it churns you up and you can't yes. sleep if you just uh, download it almost. And tell me about your exactly. podcasts. I mean, because I found it absolutely amazing the people that I've met and talked and they you know without exception they have been so 
warm, so passionate about whatever it is they do. And, you know, to share these stories is so helpful, I think, for people. Thank you, Pippa. Thank you very much. I agree. It's sharing a story. Everybody has a story. You know, I've always been interested in that, in connecting with people. Mm. And I love to connect with people. Mm. And part of having the my caregiver come in gave me an opportunity to breathe, mm. really, to, to just breathe and to have a little time for myself, which is not part of caregiving. And that's why it's so important. And, you know, you hear people say, you have to take time, you have to take time. And it's like, oh, my God, how am I taking this time? Mm. You have to. Mm. Because it does give you that opportunity. Mm. And from that, I started the daughterhood circle through daughterhood, of course. And then we would be talking and I could see that everybody was still having those same questions. And it was, instead of being able to find a place to go for those answers, everybody was struggling and struggling, trying to come up with things. And I thought I could do a podcast. I've always wanted to get those answers. It's that inquisitive part Mm. of me. And when I'm listening and when I'm, when I'm talking to somebody, I am that caregiver. Listen, I'm that person who's here, who's out of her mind at two in the morning Mm. thinking, how am I going to do this? Mm. How am I going to, not only how am I going to do it, how am I going to continue to do it? Mm. On every level, Pippa, Mm. we're all just trying to get through all of this. Absolutely. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter. You know, when I spoke to Lisa Gibbons. So that's Lisa Gibbons, L-E-E-Z-A, isn't it? Lisa Gibbons, Care Connection. Yes, she's a wonderful website um, of support for caregivers, isn't she? Lisa, her mom was her world also. Mm. And, you know, she had this big career and she talked to heads of states and she's this big entrepreneur. And at the end of the day, she's a daughter who lost her mom. Mm. Mm. You know, it's It's very leveling, isn't it? Because we're all human we're all connect you know it's all about well it's all about connections i was saying pippa listen i don't i've never been in the same room with you but we are connected Mm. forever Mm. because of our stories Mm. and because of what we've done Mm. right Mm. absolutely well thank you so much we've talked you know for over an hour (laughs) (laughs) have we has it been an hour my yeah. goodness. And it was lovely. It's so lovely to talk to you from America across the miles. As you say, you know, connect, even though we haven't ever laid eyes on each other. Um, one no. day we will. Um, one day and, we will, you know, definitely. My heart completely goes out to you. All the very, very best to you and your family and, you know, particularly your mum. And you have, you have a rocky path ahead. Um, but yeah. another thing that you told me in advance, you know, there is support reach out for it oh, you know take listen, it when yeah, you let's, can let, and, and yeah if I can talk to that for just mm, one do. minute um support is so important and I think it also goes with the shock and the fear that comes with dementia mm. is that you feel like you are the only person in this mm. and you are the only person that is thinking mm. this and what you're thinking may or may not mm. be a positive and you can feel like you're drowning because you are drowning mm. But there are other people. If you don't have people in your life that understand what you're saying or that you don't feel comfortable sharing what you're saying, go find other people. Mm. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean that like, well, just get rid of your friends. That's not what I'm saying. Reach Mm. out to those people that have been Mm. there because they are all over the place Mm. and they will help. It's that shared experience, isn't it? It is. Understanding it is because of these things that are too, too difficult sometimes yes. to 
to articulate, yes. but in a way you yes. don't even need to articulate it because you understand, don't you, by a pause or by or when we can see each other by a look and you just think, yeah, I'm there with yes. you. I've been there. I've been there at two o'clock in the morning tearing my hair out. And, and, and also you get very guilty about what you feel, don't you? And it's wonderful when people say, don't yes. feel guilty. I felt exactly the same. You know, I felt I wanted to you know, do something terrible and, you know. Yeah, and it is that because people don't understand how you can say that or how you mm, can feel that love. way when it's, when it's mm. yeah, it's somebody that you love. And I say it all the time. I adore my mother. I love her. Mm, that's quite clear. But this is hard. Mm. Yeah, but uh, thank you. But this is hard. Mm. It's hard. Mm. And it's okay to say it's hard. And in, in the midst of this, it's a little surreal, Pippa, that I'm sitting here talking to you and my mother is mm. upstairs mm. in this mm. position. Mm. And mm. and the other thing is she would love all of this so much and oh my god she would just be thrilled with all of this Mm. you know there's always that tinge of i wish i wish but what are you gonna do you Mm. know thank you so much for giving the time to come on today absolutely and anytime you want to chat you let me know (laughs) i will you have a lovely voice (laughs) all right thank you bye (laughs) thank you you too Oh my goodness, I felt such empathy for Roseanne. I recognised and remembered so many things from way back when I cared for my mum. And I didn't care for her hands-on, 24-7, as Roseanne does for Rose. There's the mind-numbing exhaustion, the anger and guilt of being pulled in two and doing nothing well, the grief and love and frustration all turned up in a strange, turbulent stew of emotions. And talking to Roseanne from her home all those miles away in Philadelphia, I thought too of what another one of my guests told me, that wherever you go in the world, however different people's circumstances or each country's health and care systems, no matter what the cultural characteristics, dementia is the same. Dementia is dementia. Daughterhood, the podcast, is well worth a listen. Roseanne has some fabulous guests, and you'll have heard what a thoughtful person she is. Not to mention the fact that she is right in the midst of it all herself. She's experiencing it right now. You can find the excellent website at daughterhood.org and then click on the podcasts tab. While Lisa Gibbons' website is at lisascareconnection.org and that's lisas l-e-e-z-a-s careconnection.org finally there's the Al's Authors website at alsauthors.com a-l-z authors.com where Roseanne is soon to be featured and dare I say it I already am finally finally I want to say a huge heartfelt thank you to Roseanne for being my guest when her mum's sleep patterns mean she's getting so little sleep herself she must be bone tired yet she still cared enough to talk to me and share her story and finally if you've enjoyed listening today I would be very very grateful if you would rate review 
and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on, as this will help spread the word about the podcast, and then together perhaps we can further diminish the stigma, increase the knowledge, and quash the myths surrounding dementia.